Alright, and we're back with part two of the October 30th edition of Guys Nation Wrestling Podcast, the Halloween edition, as we talk about all the creepy things that go on, including AJ, who has certainly been creepy over the last uh, month or so, talking to her her tag title belt, I mean her uh, Divas Championship belt. Uh, but you had a an interesting tidbit you caught on online about Miss AJ Lee. You want to share that? Yeah, so AJ has been with Kane, and she's been with Daniel Bryan, and she's been with CM Punk. And if you think about it, over the course of the last two months or three months or however, you know, past few months, those guys have something in common, especially when you take Raw into account. Mm-hmm. You know what they had in common, John? What's that, Rob? They all got attacked by the Wyatt family. They've all been targeted by Bray Wyatt, Harper, and Rowan. Well. Yeah. So when Bray Wyatt is saying, the devil made me do it, when he's kind of giving you the idea that, uh, whether it's the voices in his head or the voices he's hearing... He's saying somebody is making him do it. Something is causing him to do this. And we talked right before the break about Paul Heyman being involved. Why not AJ? It seems like AJ uh, kind of gets passed around from superstar to superstar. Why yeah. Why not uh, have her start wearing tattered clothes and uh, have her be with the Wyatt family? She's certainly manipulative. Um, she's been known to be called trailer park trash. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting connection. And, of course, it begs begs the question, who would be next, which would probably have to be Dolph Ziggler, right? Yep. So I think I think as we uh, watch SmackDown this week, which, you know, I don't, I don't know any spoilers about that, um, and as we watch Raw next week, I think Dolph Ziggler is certainly someone that uh, you would have to, you'd have to keep your eye on because if he gets attacked by the Wyatt family, I think the writing is uh, more clearly on the wall. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the only connection you could really make among those three. Uh, I don't. I can't think of anything else that would make any sense between Punk, Brian, and Ziggler all getting attacked within a week. Right. Although you know, it just. I mean, one problem with it is that it's kind of in the rear view. It's been a long time since she was involved with all those guys, but right. you know, it's still an interesting uh, thought, and and I think that's. That's what's fun about this angle is that we've we've got a lot of questions and it can go a lot of different directions. Yeah, and, so. and one thing I would say is that uh, this angle would be more interesting to me if it weren't leading up to uh, the Survivor Series pay-per-view because I almost feel like you could have a match where it's, you know, all the guys have been attacked by the Wyatt family against the Wyatt family. Right. And, then it just ends. It's not like... And they just they get the victory over the Wyatt family, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be really interested if they seem to be building up a tag team between CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, but it almost just doesn't seem like it's that important at this point. Well, you kind of hope they're going with something a little more sophisticated, like you see on a lot of TV shows where, you know, for instance, and I won't give any spoilers, something like Breaking Bad, where there's a lot of characters... And there's some there's some relationships uh, that you see pieces of that eventually come together in a way that you weren't quite sure that's how the puzzle was going to look later. Um, you know, if they could have a story like this be intricately planned over the course of several weeks or months, 
to where you find out somebody's behind it or, you know, that, that whole thing would be really cool. That would be kind of like an advanced TV storyline that, that would be beyond what WWE's really done in the past. I mean, the only time they've had anything mysterious was like, what, the higher power? And that really wasn't that hard to figure out for a lot of people. Right. I feel like I feel like there's a greater potential for longer, longer drawn out angles in the mid card um, when there's uh, competition for WWE when when they need to draw in more viewers when it's not just oh we'd like to have higher ratings it's you know we need to beat the competition and, and uh, but if they look at their competition as other TV programs yeah, and, that, and that's to... a that's a good point I mean I, I think a couple of years ago people were saying that. Uh, Perhaps UFC would be the direct competition to WWE, but I think I think you make a valid point. I mean, why shouldn't why shouldn't WWE Raw try to compete with Monday Night Football? Why shouldn't they try and compete with How I Met Your Mother, Two Broke Girls, CSI? Why why shouldn't they try and compete with whatever other show they're going against? Because in reality, it doesn't have to be a wrestling promotion. It doesn't have to be a a sports entertainment promotion. Yeah, and be trying to compete for ratings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there's a lot of arguments about you know the merging of different media outlets and how they now compete against each other in ways that we didn't think before. But uh, you know, if they're an entertainment company and they're telling stories, I don't see why they can't have intricate stories. I don't see why they can't have a TV writer come up with something that's that's beyond the complicated, or that's much more complicated than they have in the past. And people would eat it up, especially if they're getting new viewers. Uh, you know, from something like Total Divas, if they're getting more female viewers, maybe they want more storyline action. Who knows? Uh, But it would be cool if they did that, I think, because then that'd be taking wrestling to to a level that hasn't been in before, um, which would be nice to see after so many years of kind of repeated storylines and stuff. Absolutely. All right, so the next uh, topic, which is related to what we were just talking about, of course, is Kane. Uh, He comes out takes care of the Miz and uh, calls out Stephanie McMahon and basically just says, uh, who, by the way, Stephanie McMahon, I mean, I know she got a, a, a boob job, but, I mean, did she did she stuff him? I mean, that thing was ridiculous. I don't know. That was that uh, definitely gets my, my, uh, my pick like for the... Stands. Yeah, it's the best, the best sweater I've seen all fall. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she had a couple midget stuffed under there. Uh <laughs> El so, so Kane, you know, goes on this rant about you've been on a power trip, you're manipulative, blah blah blah, I've ruined lives, and then he decides, but it's best for business, and says the monster's hers to unleash. Walks down there, pulls off his uh, mask and hair, and she holds it up like a headless horseman kind of thing, which was pretty cool. Um, and so now apparently he's available for the authority to use, which they didn't do at the end of the show. You thought they might, but so I, I don't know. Uh, what's your initial vibe on this? What what does this mean for Kane? I'm I'm extremely disappointed in it. Uh, extremely disappointed. Um, you know, I I felt like uh, Kane having the mask. You know, it adds something to him. I mean, I, I know I know he doesn't need it. I know there was a time where he didn't have it, um, but him taking off the mask was just weird. It was like, you know, he was, he was surrendering, you know, that, that side of him and putting him in with the authority. 
it kind of takes him away from what was going on with the Wyatt family. And I know a lot of people, myself included, were really excited to see where they went with it after, you know, Kane comes back from being abducted. Yeah, and you would think you would think Kane would be hell bent on destroying Bray Wyatt at this point, um, if he wasn't under his control. So it begs the question, okay, are they just forgetting about that? Or is he still under the control of Bray Wyatt? But, I mean, I, they're not really, you know, like sometimes the announcers will give hints to what we haven't seen yet, but, you know, they're not even mentioning Wyatt in relation to Kane at this point. Yeah, and it, it's almost it's almost like they should go back in time and instead of having the Wyatt family drag Kane away from the ring after that uh, crazy match, they should have just left him in the ring defeated, right? Yeah. I mean... Taking him away, you kind of wonder, okay, where are they going with this? You know, are they are they indoctrinating him? Are they going to destroy him? You know, what, you know, is Undertaker going to get involved at some point? So it's like there's all this, you know, built-up anticipation, and it's like, okay, maybe they have something bigger planned. Maybe a month from now we'll say, yeah, okay, I see how this all fits. But it, right now, in the, in the here and now, it feels like they dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's definitely perplexing, but I, I do have one thought that I I think I saw someone mention uh, on Squared Circle that, you know, what if this is a way to give Kane a different type of run um, to close out his, his career? Because he's talked and he's been very open about his ideas of, of running for office and being involved in politics in his real life. Um, in fact, there's even somebody linked to a video that he just cut about the Fed on YouTube, you know, in his suit and everything. Um, what if he were to go, like, down a JBL path, where previously he was this kind of, you know, JBL was kind of a monster type with APA and all that, and then he has this, you know, businessman run at the end of his career that was very successful, won the WWE title. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying Kane would win the title, but what if he transitions more into a business type of role, gets a chance to use his skills uh, verbally that he hasn't had as the Kane character? You know, it could be it could be interesting. I'll be disappointed, but only from the perspective of uh, them not closing the loop on this Wyatt family thing. But you know, the Undertaker he went from being the dead man with the hat and the the black outfit, and then you know the the gloves and boots. You know, he changed. He became demonic for a while. He was the biker for a while. He almost seemed like an MMA star for a while. Then he went back to his original gimmick. But with Kane, you've really just had this horror movie monster pretty much his entire run. And, you know, for a while he was teaming up with X-Pac. And for a while he was, you know, bald and, you know, looking monstrous without a mask on but it's really just been the same cane all along so I think it could be interesting if you give him a different attire set. And couldn't you see Glenn Jacobs himself being a guy that's been with WWE for so long uh, and has done everything they wanted by playing that character um, saying look I'd really like to have this different type of run for a little while to close this out because if he does go into politics or something then the only video of him in his prior life as a wrestler, is being a demon. That's you know that's a little weird. But if he has, you know, a year or two of being more of a businessman and cutting, 
you know, good, well-spoken promos, uh, wearing a suit and tie or whatever he's going to do, I, I think that would help his his case, you know, because if he goes into politics, he's going to be dragged through the mud. Um, and he might potentially want to have better material to bring to the table if they try to say, you know, how are, how are we to believe you've changed, you know? How do we know that this is not who you really are? He could say, well, look, I played this this other politician for two years. It's just an acting gig. Right, right. I mean, you don't you don't want his opponent to be able to say, look, six months ago you were saying that you were the devil's favorite demon. Right. Like, you know, why should we, you know, why should voters want to, you know, put their money and and vote behind you. I mean, yeah. yes, I, I think I think that's a great point that you brought up, and uh, I could see it. I could see it happening. Yeah. So, and I think that would be good for him because uh, he's clearly got some talent on the mic that he just never really gets an opportunity to use. Uh, so, you know, and JBL, he certainly did a lot more than I ever thought he would when he was an acolyte and all that. You know, he just seemed like kind of a dumb oaf. Yeah, and then, and then suddenly he's one of the best we have as a heel commentator and as a heel champion. Yep, and he he held he held some of the championships that he had for quite a while, and uh, his reigns weren't weren't terrible. They weren't great, but uh, they were certainly more than I would give him credit for back when he was playing cards backstage with uh, with Ron Simmons or uh, you know one of the Undertaker's lackeys as the acolytes. Yeah, totally. All right, so. That should be interesting. Uh, so, you know, now Kane's under the control, supposedly, of the authority, or at least of Stephanie McMahon. We'll see if that, if he just wants to work for Steph or for all of them. I think that probably is a question that remains to be answered. Certainly certainly plays in pretty well to uh, the questions you've raised over the past couple podcasts where you, uh, you speculate that maybe at some point uh, Stephanie and Triple H won't be on the same page. Yeah, and uh, Kane would be a guy of the stature to uh, put Triple H in his place if Steph wanted him to. All right, so that brings us to the final segment of the of Raw, not our final segment. Um, well, first of all, earlier in the show we saw David Otunga in a WWE.com exclusive. He's still employed, by the way. I think He's we just all found lawyer, that out. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, personally, I don't like him very much, but I think if they have him play a role like this as a lawyer, it's it's it could be pretty useful. Uh, so he says he's re- representing uh, Mr. White, the big show, Paul White, in right. a lawsuit, uh, talking about all this all this stuff and saying uh, that he's he's been singled out for suffering from giantism, which I right. thought was was a pretty nice touch. Um, and the way he said it and laid it out sounds like a real lawsuit. Um, you know, it didn't sound like some cock and maybe wrestling story. Like, they made it sound legit. And uh, so, you know, later on we have the the coronation, the celebration of Randy Orton. As we mentioned earlier, John Cena couldn't bother to be there. Uh, come down to the ring, you got the shield in the ring. Do the group hug. Which I thought was interesting that, you know, during the group hug... The Shield are kind of looking at each other like, well, "What's this crap?" You know, like, right. <laughs> I don't know. It was just a little odd. They had these weird looks on their faces, but um, but there's not a lot to say from the promos that came out of this. I don't think. I think it was just a lot more hot air from Triple H. Uh, he, you know, he just talks in circles and doesn't really bring a whole lot new to the table. I mean, did anything jump out to you of what anybody actually said during that segment between Triple H and Orton? 
not not in the first part of it. No. Um, I mean, you could you could put it on mute and probably catch three quarters of what they're saying. So you know, it's the same exact thing since the day after uh, SummerSlam. Is that uh, you know this is their chosen guy. He's the right one to be champion, and you know he's he's the guy that's uh, going to lead the authority. You know. Yeah, yeah. He just talked more about that whole. Uh, you know, he sat under the learning tree from Triple H, and he was picked to fulfill the prophecy. And I mean, it's like, all right, all right, we got it. Right. Um. But then, of course, you have Big Show show up, and uh, the Shield runs out. They can't handle Big Show. Or at least they, you know, didn't quite beat him down until the Rhodes and I guess, or who was it, the Usos and and Rhodes I think was it both was of the them. Usos, Usos and the Rhodes that came out. Yeah, so they get chased off. Uh, we'll have some talk about the tag division right after this, uh, but you know, so Big Show gets in the ring, knocks out Randy Orton, uh, you know, and then stares down Triple H. It's kind of how we end the draw. I mean, so I guess we're gonna have a long. Uh, storyline here of, of the lawsuit and how he's allowed you know to continue working because of the lawsuit right and I, th- I think we we speculate a little bit on this um, either either in the special edition podcast that we taped Sunday night directly after the pay-per-view I think that's when it was we were saying you know that uh, big show uh, might be next in line for Randy Orton, but then you have to speculate, well, how is that going to work with him not being employed? But I, I think this lawsuit is a good way to go about bringing him back into the picture and and Triple H not having much he can do about it. And quite frankly, I'm glad that they went this route because I was kind of getting tired of um, the unrealistic things that Triple H was, was doing and the unrealistic way the Big Show storyline was playing out. I mean, they were they were doing things that, uh, you know, you just can't do. Like, I, I mean, Big Show was, was underwater on his mortgage. They were talking about, you know, he had a lot of things that he owed, and they talked about him maybe needing to go into foreclosure. And then suddenly Triple H is holding the deed to his house? Yeah. Like, a, th- a third party can't just step in and say, I'm buying this mortgage. It's like, yeah, you know. And and so it's just it, a lot of things were just unrealistic, and you know they were almost treating him like a slave, you know, where you have to do what we want, or else we're going to fire you. And and uh, so I'm I'm glad they went this route and kind of pulled it back in and and made it more realistic. Yeah, so I'm guessing we see a match um, where you know the stipulation is something to the effect of you know Randy Orton wins and the lawsuit's dropped and Big Show's fired, or if Big Show wins, then you know he's reinstated, or I don't know. I mean, I, it it does still seem hard that they would actually give him a title shot, given what's going on. Right. But you know, I'm I'm sure they could twist it in a way that I'll buy it. But at the moment, I'm still having trouble seeing how a guy that's on the out so much would would earn a title shot. Yeah, and it would almost have to happen where you know Big Show forces himself back into the picture, which he's kind of doing. And then David Otunga says, look, the way we can settle this is that, uh, you know, you give Big Show a title shot and this lawsuit goes away and you can no longer fire him. You can no longer have, you know, treat him like a hired hand. You know, 
that's the way this lawsuit goes away because otherwise, you know, Big Show was talking about bankrupting the uh, WWE. I mean, I don't know who he thinks WWE is. I mean, he he must think he's in TNA now, bankrupting a company. <laughs> yeah, they are a publicly traded company. I think it would be pretty hard to bankrupt them at the moment. Right. Yeah, so uh, I guess hopefully we'll get more from where that's going. Uh, a little less of Triple H talking in circles for my taste would be nice. Um, I guess you know eventually he's going to have to be in the ring probably, but we'll see. So let's move on from that. The other guys that were in the ring were the Shield, and as I mentioned a minute ago, it seemed a little strange that they were kind of not too into the whole celebration as they were out there. Uh, but earlier in the night, um, there was a there was a promo backstage when they normally you know the Shield are always backstage cutting their boiler room promo uh, with the camera swaying back and forth as it does during their matches. Right. But uh, <clears throat> Ambrose just kind of comes right out and says uh, tonight could be the biggest night in the history of the Shield which is an odd thing to say considering they've main evented pay-per-views and have held, you know, ha- and had big championship matches that they won. Right, um, certainly a bit of hyperbole there. Yeah, and this is only a singles match, not a shield match. Um, So he keeps talking about himself throughout the promo. He says it was a privilege for Big E to share the ring with Dean Ambrose, the U.S. champion. Um, And so, uh, and then he he goes on and says something about, you know, this is the only title the Shield has left. Uh, So I don't know. And you could see see Roman Reigns kind of glaring at him during it, kind of surprised at what he was saying. Yeah, and to a lesser extent, uh, Seth Rollins was, you know, kind of glaring him in a well as well. But uh, yeah, was, Roman Reigns definitely had that death stare to him. Yeah. So, and I think there's been little hints here and there in previous shows that maybe I didn't pick up on as as clearly as this one. That you know maybe there's a crack in the shield. Uh, they lost those tag belts, uh, which we thought if they were ever going to break up, uh, somehow belts needed to be taken off them. Uh, so. The tags are gone. And, you know, if the shield is going to break up, I think clearly it has to go in this direction that seems to be hinted at where Ambrose is the heel and Reigns and Rollins, you know, end up being faces. I mean, don't you think? Yeah, I I think so. And I think the way they ended uh, the whole uh, Ambrose-Big E match where they they turned it into a uh, six-man tag, and then it was Roman Reigns that got the big pinfall. And as he was, you know, getting up from the pinfall, he was kind of doing his, you know, manly roar where he's like, oh, I just won. You know, I'm awesome. And he was glaring in the direction of his corner and kind of like, okay, you started this. You're the one that had the match with Big E, but I'm the one that finished it. How about that? How about that being the biggest night in the Shields history? How about them apples? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I think we've all been waiting for this. I mean, they've been together almost exactly a year now. I believe they debuted at Hell in a Cell. Um, so, uh, did, are you ready for a Shield breakup? Would you want to see that? I, you know, I don't want to say that it's run its course because I still think there's plenty that they could do. I think it could be really interesting to see what happens when Ambrose loses that championship if uh, if Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns gets a chance uh, 
and they're able to do something that uh, Ambrose can't and get the get that belt back, that could be an interesting wrinkle. I think you know it could be an interesting thing for them to to try you know having feuds with people without the belts. Um, but I, I would I would not be disappointed if Ambrose loses the belt here at uh, you know the upcoming pay per view or even next week, and then uh, you know he gets into a shoving match with uh, Roman Reigns. I wouldn't I wouldn't be disappointed by that at all. Yeah, and and another way they could go I think is, is sort of what they did at Hell in a Cell where you know he was in this drag out beat down fight with Big E. Uh, he got counted out, and as he was trying to go back through the audience, Big E grabs him and does his move in the center of the ring and stands over him. And there's no Reigns and Rollins to be seen. Uh, right. I mean, when was the last time a Shield member got left out to dry? Right. So, you know, I mean, that could be a, a foreshadowing of something to come where Ambrose finds himself in trouble. Maybe Reigns and Rollins do show up, but then they just don't help him. Yeah, and, and I think... You know, I, I think the next couple of promos are probably pretty important for how this, you know, is going and what direction they're going to do with, with this angle because if you have Dean Ambrose start to say that he doesn't need the Shield, if he, that he doesn't need his compatriots, then you start to get into the idea that uh, maybe they won't be there to help him. Maybe they'll be there and say, okay, you think you've got this covered. We'll stand back and we'll watch. Right. Now, another interesting wrinkle, I think, with the S.H.I.E.L.D. is that they're the only people, uh, other than the inner circle of the Authority, that is allowed to be around the Authority without, uh, you know, being potentially dangerous. Uh, They're allowed to sit in the ring with them as they celebrate Randy Orton's championship. Now, I don't know how they could play this off, but to me that adds a nice wrinkle to where if they so choose, they could turn on the, the authority. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're certainly close enough. They certainly have the access. You know, it, uh, it would be like the Secret Service, you know, being behind a plot for the president, right? I mean, yeah. um, I mean you, they have the most opportunity. They are the bodyguards. They are the hired hands. And, you know, it's it's pretty dangerous for Triple H to uh, put guys that are just hired hands into that spot, especially if you have somebody that might show up and uh, and sweeten the pot and help them get uh, go in that direction. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if they'll actually go that way, but it does add a nice uh, potential. But, you know, it would be hard to see that happening with the situation with Ambrose and the other two because presumably if they were to... Buck the authority. It would have to be all three of them. But yeah, and I, don't know. I could I could see a situation where uh, Dean Ambrose and uh, Roman Reigns kind of get into a shouting match or close to that, and maybe push each other once or twice, and then we see a segment where Triple H is talking to Stephanie and saying, "We got to get those guys under control. We can't have those guys, you know, our our bodyguards, you know, the the right hand of the authority. We can't have those guys at odds with each other. We need them fully focused on." Uh, on what's ahead of them, and I could see that being a catalyst to, you know, kind of keep them together, and then eventually those old feelings get stirred up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a good way to play it off, I think. Because um, I, I do think I do think Dean Ambrose needs to be in a singles role, um, and I and I think uh, 
Reigns and Rollins should be faces. I, I think they're crowd pleasers. You know, Re- Rollins is a high flyer. Um, yeah, virtually anything he does is exciting. You know, he's a he's kind of a, a Ziggler, Shawn Michaels kind of type of guy, but you know, a little bigger. Uh, you know, he could potentially really be a star. And I think with Reigns and his power moves, that's something the crowd can get behind as well. So I, I think the crowd would be would be ready to cheer for the two of them. And then on the flip side, Ambrose, you know, he's just he's great on the mic. I mean, in the in the pre-show, uh, Big E challenges him to a match as Big E's on that little like panel that they have where they try to be ESPN now. Right. And Big E's stumbling over his words. It's just it's so awkward. And Dean Ambrose is just rolling with it and is completely in character. Never skips a beat. Um, and it's like, you know, I'll teach you a lesson, son, you rookie from NXT, you know, and he's just, just right on point, you know. I mean, the guy just, he never misses a spot as, as far as I can tell. So I, I'd love to see him get a chance to be, you know, a heel that that has, that cuts promos about himself rather than the Shield, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I like the Shield. I like the angle that they've been going with. But uh, quite frankly, I think, there's too much emphasis placed on the group itself and not enough emphasis placed on the individuals because, you know, when they came in, I was thinking, okay, I know Seth Rollins. I've heard great things about Dean Ambrose, but Roman Reigns, he just, he seems like he's the uh, the dumb muscle. And we've gotten to see a little bit from him, and I can tell that he probably has skills where he can talk on the mic probably a little bit. And uh, he's got pretty decent in-ring ability. Um, but I, I do think at some point it would be good to start getting them kind of on their own and, and moving forward that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, But we're assuming we're assuming at least no matter what happens, Rain and Rollins stay together uh, and keep competing in what has become a very deep and, uh, you know, Interesting tag division. Uh, we got to see a couple more matches. Seems every Raw we're having at least one, if not two, uh, legitimate tag team matches, not just throwaway three MB, three MB matches. Uh, so we have the Real Americans taking on um, the Rhodes yeah, and, and, was, and getting a victory. Yeah, I was I was really surprised by that. I was thinking that this was just an opportunity for the Rhodes to kind of get another victory, kind of solidify them as a team that can not only get the championships when they have a heated storyline, but they can keep the, the championships and they can uh, they can win matches against guys who have you know kind of been together for a while and have good chemistry as a team. But I was really I was really kind of surprised that uh, Swagger and Cesaro beat. Um, Cody and Goldust in a uh, tag match. I mean, were you were you feeling the same way, or were you thinking? Yeah, that? I, was, I was totally surprised, and it, it's another one of those illogical booking scenarios that WWE likes to do, where the Real Americans lose to Los Matadores on the pay per view, and then the next night, Real Americans tap out the champs. I mean, I mean, yes. what are they? Are they good or bad? <laughs> right. I mean, how, how are we supposed to feel about this team? And honestly, in years past, I would just say, you know what, it doesn't matter because, you know, in the end, there's no chance that the Real Americans are going to win the tag match. And, you know, if you're if you're looking at the tag division, don't look at it like a ladder where, you know, all the teams want to get to the top. 
it's more like a round robin, and the champions just happen to be the one that you have to beat when the belts are on the line, and it doesn't really matter who wins what matches. But I almost feel like they're going more towards um, making a real go at the division, so it does it does bring about uh, an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I certainly would not be opposed to having Real Americans be a strong uh, contender. They should be, based on who they are. Uh, they're both big guys that have some history uh, that should be able to, to win a championship. Um, and, uh, you know, I think maybe possibly they're playing up or, like, starting the beginnings of Goldust being the weak link uh, with him tapping out like that. Um I don't know that you'd ever see, you know, Cody admonish him for it or anything, but, you know, I think maybe you'd start to hear scuttlebutt from Cole or maybe other other tag teams saying, uh, you know, you're too old, gold dust, you know, it's time to step aside for a real team, and I don't know. I, I for one, would really love it if on SmackDown or next week's Raw, if the Real Americans come out and, uh, you know, the word coming from them is, hey, we beat you. Hey, we want a title shot. Hey, he's too old. Hey, you know, that sort of thing. Instead of instead of the same rigmarole that they give every week about, you know, immigration or the economy or the government, like, I, that stuff is kind of getting old. And they've got a good mouthpiece. They don't have to worry about the fact that Swagger seems awkward sometimes on the mic. They don't have to worry about the fact that, you know, English is probably the eighth language on Cesaro's list of, of you know, of what, you know, he prefers dialogue in. They can just move straight forward with Zeb Coulter. He doesn't have to mention any of the other stuff. And he can really show what his skills are as a manager and not just as somebody that can drum up heel heat from government issues. Sure. Um yeah, I, I agree. It would be nice if they they changed up their their gimmick a little bit, um, but uh, I, I prefer at least the fact that they might be pushed as a stronger team. So I'll be at least happy with that. Uh, now the other team that's being pushed hard is the Los Matadores. They have a match with uh, Three Man Band. Heath Slater uh, brings out a net for Torito. I know yeah. you. I know you enjoyed that. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that was uh, one of the highlights of uh, of that part of the show. Anyway, um, you know, kind of middle of the show can be kind of droll sometimes. But uh, Heath Slater bringing out that that huge net, it's like uh, well, that's an interesting way to approach El Torito. You know, is and and at one point in the match, he sneaks up on him from outside the ring, and he almost captures him in the net. And I was like, wow, you know, this is this is a decent television right here. And I, you know, I didn't have you know, much expectations at all. I mean, if if you would have told me two years ago that uh, that uh, Epico and Primo would be having an interesting match against Jinder Mahal and uh, Heath Slater and and Drew McIntyre, I would have I would have told you you were nuts. But uh, here we are, and it was entertaining. Yeah, it goes to show you how how good they can be at developing characters sometimes, where they just seem to have planned it out pretty well with the whole shtick, you know, with the with the bowl, with the the hand motions that they do in the ring, the Olays. Yeah. Um the way they set up their finisher, the spinning uh jump moves off the ropes. 
So, yeah, they've got a good gimmick going on, and, and the music, you know, initially I wasn't a big fan, but it's definitely grown on me. Um, the fact that it starts out with the Olay, you've now got the crowd doing the Olay chants during the match. So they could really, you know, they could really build up to a, a strong fan favorite here in the next month, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to do something with the fact that there are limited heel tag teams for them to go against, limited credible teams for them to go against, and the fact that they're probably not going to talk. I feel right. Like they could. They could talk if WWE would would write it, uh, you know, in such a way that uh, they didn't have to talk too much. I mean, you could have a segment backstage where you know some heels are uh, are talking badly about them, making them sound like a joke, and then all of a sudden, Torito is there, and and you know they're like, oh, we're going to bully this guy, and then all of a sudden, Los Matadores showed up, and you know knock them out, and then just look right into the camera and just yell, ole, and then yeah. they walk off. I mean, you could have stuff like that, but you have to have them interact with people other than just within the confines of the ring. Sure. Yeah, that, that's definitely going to be a challenge. Uh, and I do see I do see eventually them winning a big match, likely a title match would be the only big match you could have as a tag team, uh, with Torito, Torito giving an assist somehow. You know, behind the ref's back, giving the gore or whatever, uh, huge crowd pop. You know, that'd be a pretty interesting moment because uh, he's he's clearly going to be the focal point at least for a while. Yeah, and I, you know, Hornswoggle has done things like that. I mean, back in the days where Hornswoggle kind of started off when uh, he was with um, Finley, uh, you know, he helped out there and and he's helped you know in big spots. You know, whether he was a face or a heel. Along the way, he's been a comedy piece, but he's he, he's played an important role, and I feel like they need to certainly capitalize on that aspect with El Torito here uh, in the near term, kind of get the, the crowd used to the idea that Torito is not just, you know, an entertaining little, little sideshow, but uh, that he's really got uh, the ability to make an impact, and he's certainly talented. So you mentioned uh, there's a lack of heel tag teams. Um what do you, and the one team that's kind of been forgotten lately is uh, Tons of Funk. Now, they're both big guys, uh, you know, good workers, clearly, uh, Tensai in particular. What do you think about them being brought back? You know, maybe they're off our radar for a little bit here and being brought back with uh, something more heelish. I, I think that could be really interesting. I mean, I, I could... I could see a situation where, you know, they try and come back and continue their old gimmick of, you know, dancing and singing and, or I guess not singing, but, you know, and the, the funkettes and whatever, and, and they just at some point just snap and, like, tell the funkettes to get out of the ring and, and kind of push them aside and, and maybe get a, uh, a more heelish uh, theme song and, and uh, start bullying people because, you know, they're certainly you know, big dudes, and I really I really liked it when Brodus Clay was the bodyguard for Alberto Del Rio. I thought that was perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they could play the part well. Um, you know, maybe it's just some nostalgia, but I always enjoyed the natural disasters, and it would be nice to see the two of them get some sort of run as that, that big boy tag team. Um, and maybe heel is the way to go, because it, it's kind of hard to take them seriously. You know, as tons of funk. It, it was fun. It was good comedy to see Tense. I have to dance and 
lingerie and become sweet tea and all that stuff, but it's kind of run its course. I mean, you could see them have a backstage segment even with the Funkadactyls and be like, we're breaking up the band, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like kicking them out of the limo or something. Well, I'd almost be like, uh, you know, I know I know you guys want to come out there tonight and I, want, I know you want to do your dance and whatever, but uh, I really don't see how you add anything to our matches other than getting the fans excited, and that doesn't win matches. So you yeah. all need to stay back here. I don't care that you missed out on WrestleMania. I don't care that you've missed out on whatever with us not having matches. But we don't need to split our time with you. We don't need to split the crowd's attention with you. We're going out there, and you're going to stay here, and you don't have anything to say about it. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't need to see Brodus Clay's inner thighs shake anymore. I, I want to see Tensai be brutal with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And he had... He had some of that going with the the Tensai gimmick. It just it was too far fetched to to have him be Japanese when he's clearly not. Um, but as we go out to the uh, Los Matadores Volé, uh, that was our tag team segment. Hopefully, we have a lot more of those in the future. This time last year, believe it or not, they had a tournament for the number one contender that the Road Scholars won. Um, oh, nice. So for a year now, they've tried to have some focus on tag teams, but uh, now they've finally built up some new teams that have interesting enough gimmicks that could play off each other. Um, so, I don't know. We're getting the matches you wanted. They're, they're focusing a little bit on the division. Maybe these are good things going forward. I like it. I look forward to it continuing. All right. Well, that was it for this week. Uh, hopefully we covered everything. Check us out on GN Wrestling on Twitter. Uh, Guys Nation Wrestling on Facebook and wrestling at guysnation.com is the email for Rob. This is John saying, see ya.